Listener Production. Hello, Sasha Barbagat with you. Welcome to The Briefing. It feels like every day we are bombarded with bad news about the property market. Well, I suppose that depends on whether you're a homeowner or a renter. If you own your own home or have a mortgage, rising prices is good news. But if you're a renter hoping to break into the market, rising prices means you're probably looking at moving away from where you want to live. In today's episode of The Briefing, we take a deep dive on rent vesting, the popular strategy where you can buy in a high rent areas as an investment and then rent in an area where you want to live. You're living where you're living at the moment for a reason because you enjoy it. And rent vesting is just a really effective way to get the best of both worlds, as well as keep thousands more of your income in your pocket. A deep dive on rent vesting coming up in the second half of the episode. But first, Katrina Blowers is here for the headlines. It is Thursday, the 22nd of February. Hey, Sasha. Hi, everyone. Well, US lawyers say Julian Assange put lives at risk when he helped publish classified documents relating to the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. The WikiLeaks founder's appeal against extradition to the United States has entered a second day, with representatives for the US arguing he should be brought to justice. Now, if this appeal fails, Assange could be removed from the UK within weeks. The hearing also heard denials that the charges against Assange were politically motivated, saying his actions went far beyond those of a journalist gathering information. Now, this is particularly important because... A key part of Assange's case is whether the extradition treaty between the UK and the US should stand up. That extradition treaty doesn't apply if the alleged wrongdoing is political. The big concern, according to US government lawyers, was the publishing of sources of information for the White House. Yeah, and to recap, Assange is accused of encouraging and assisting Chelsea Manning, who was a US intelligence analyst, in obtaining around 400,000 Iraq war-related activity reports and 250,000 US State Department cables. Many of those were published unredacted through WikiLeaks. Now, uh, Katrina, the hearing has now wrapped up. Judges have flagged they'll release their decision around mid-next month. And if Mr Assange is refused permission to appeal, his only opportunity to avoid being sent to the US is to then ask the European Court of Human Rights to stop the flight. And if that happens, uh, he'll then remain in jail while that case is prepared for later in the year. So a lot riding on this decision. Yeah, and so many fascinating little details have come out in these arguments, um, not least of which is that Assange's lawyers are arguing there's specific evidence there may have been threats by the US to employ contractors to kidnap and poison him. So they're arguing that he uh, may not be safe if he gets extradited. Okay, a bit of a warning. This headline could be a bit tough to listen to. The National Aged Care Regulator has looked into a facility in Brisbane over the death of a resident in hospital who had been found by staff with maggot-infested wounds. In a listener newsroom exclusive, whistleblower Caitlin, who worked at Blue Care's Kalanga Pilgrim Aged Care for 13 years, revealed she never went back after the incident last year. You know, I bent down and had a look so I could see. And that's when, yeah, I saw just maggots all over this wound. The Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission found the facility non-compliant in personal wound care 
organisational governance and post-fall monitoring practices, as well as failing to self-report other incidents in line with its legal obligations. Blue Care says it remains accredited and is now compliant with all quality standards, and it is one of the country's largest aged care providers, Katrina. So to give some context as well in terms of what the regulator does, uh, they look to provide facilities with a chance to rectify their standards to become compliant again. And it is pretty unusual and rare for a facility to lose its accreditation even after a death. And that's as long as it's showed commitment to wanting to be better and make improvements. So it sounds like that's the step that's been taken there at Blue Care. All right, well, here's an idea. The outgoing ATO boss reckons getting rid of work-related tax deductions would simplify the tax system in Australia. Commissioner Chris Jordan made these comments at the National Press Club, admitting it'd be a big step. Aussies love their tax time deductions. (laughs) The number of us claiming back on cash spent for work-related items has grown in recent years, with $22 billion given back by the tax office in the 2021 22 financial year. This is so interesting, Sasha. I was doing a little bit of reading because this isn't a new idea. It's um, mm. been floated, you know, um, 2021, back in 2016. So there's some history with this. One of the arguments that was made to a Senate committee is that it could narrow the gender divide when it comes to tax deductions because interestingly, the bulk of deductions go not just to high-income people but high-income men and that's because the average high-income woman earning more than 100k a year claims less deductions because most of those women work in occupations like admin where they can't claim for those Mm. kinds of, you know, working from home deductions. Whereas most of the guys earning over that amount, they're tradies. So that's an interesting argument to make too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I I can't imagine this being very popular. We have noticed quite a big uh, crackdown, I'd say over the last decade from the ATO in terms of work related expenses. Every year, right before tax time, they've started putting out this list and going, this is what we're looking out for. Don't try and rot the system. We're going to be watching you. And if we think what you're claiming is over what you're owed, we will audit you. So, you know, the ATO is is getting stricter on this stuff. But yeah, as the commissioner said, Aussies love their tax deductions. I can't imagine that going through. And the number of female leads in Hollywood films is at a 10-year low. That's according to a new study from the University of Southern California's Annenberg Inclusion Initiative. Last year's top 100 films saw only 30 feature a female lead or co-lead. That's the worst result since 2014. And that is also despite the $1.4 billion success of Barbie. The study's authors say they can't explain the collapse and have called it an industry failure. And the results follow a record high result result in 2022 with 44% of films having female leads or co-leads. This doesn't surprise me. I I felt watching uh, a lot of the awards season, we still got the Oscars to go, that um, yeah, it felt really male dominated. And it was so interesting to see in the year of Barbie where it was just all about girl power. You know what else I've noticed? And it's interesting these figures bear this out too, is that it's not just the disappearance of women, it's the disappearance of older women. Mm. So um, these figures also found that only three films last year featured a woman over the age of 40 as a lead or even a co-lead and that's compared with 32 for men in the same age category. 
And also uh, women of colour being represented in films, that fell from 18 to 14. Uh, It is still much higher than 2007's result, though, which is worth noting, uh, and that's when the study began. Clearly, you know, despite the success of Barbie and the feeling of girl power going on at the moment, work needs to be done in the film industry to uh, make sure we get more women in lead and co-lead roles. Hey, Katrina, thank you so much for being here for the headlines today. Next up is our deep dive into rent vesting. More and more Australians are choosing rent vesting as their way into the property market. What is it? Well, basically, it's buying in an area with a higher rental yield as an investment and then renting in an area you actually want to live. It means you can break into the property market, purchasing a property in lower cost areas without giving up the benefits of a city lifestyle. Michael Beresford is the executive director of Open Corp, a Melbourne-based property investment firm, and he's here to talk to us all about it. Michael, thanks for joining us on the briefing. Look, I've heard of this term. My husband and I are looking to crack into the property market and we actually considered something like this, but I'd never heard of the term rent vesting. Is it a new term or a new idea? Yeah, look, it's a relatively new concept uh, and definitely a, a new term that more and more people are becoming familiar with as they've had to find a way to get into the property market cost effectively because of the, uh, the, the the affordability challenges that exist right now. Personally, I've been doing it for nearly 20 years. So it's been around for a while. Uh, but the reason why it's just starting to catch on is because the typical way that we've been brought up in Australia to think about housing is that we work hard, we save our deposit and we buy our own home. Uh, obviously, that's becoming more and more challenging. So of late, people are pivoting and finding a smarter way, bringing a, a kind of new age mindset to the uh, to the approach to uh, to get into the market. Let's talk about the idea of rental return. So I think most people expect that if you're buying something further out from the city where you are more likely to be able to afford to buy property, then therefore the rent in those areas would be lower. But that's not necessarily the case, is it? No. So I think um, when you say lower, do you mean lower in dollar value or kind yeah. of lower in terms of quality of, of, of rental? Because I think both both are really important. From a dollar value, yes, you're likely to get less rent in further out areas, but at the same time, the purchase price is much lower. So we look at rental yield, which is effectively a comparison between the rent that you receive each year versus the purchase price. And the rental yield is higher in more affordable areas. And so what that means is if you're investing in more affordable areas, then what it actually costs you out of your pocket is a lot cheaper to hold than what it would be more of a blue chip type property that's going to cost you a lot of money out of your pocket because the rental yield is is lower than that. Yeah, case in point, uh, Matt and Christy are, are clients of ours that were featured in a, uh, an article in the West Australian a couple of weeks ago. They'd bought in Brisbane, used that equity to, to buy into an affordable area in Perth and the rental yield was, was upwards of 5%. The tax benefits were maximised. So they were able to buy two properties there and that area has gone up by about 30% in the last 12 months. So yeah, it's about, uh, it's about understanding how you can hold as much asset as possible with as little money out of your own pocket as possible. And that's why rental yield is an important component along with how you maximise your tax benefits. My question with this is, what is the benefit of having 
an investment property if you're not living in it and you are kind of, I'm talking entry level, I'm not talking about, you know, big fancy investors who have lots of properties. I'm talking about a regular couple who are looking to crack in, decide that they can't afford to buy where they want to live. So they buy a property further out that they rent out. What is the benefit of doing that? Is it so that you can eventually buy a house that you do want to live in, in a better area? Absolutely. That, that's one of the benefits. Um, really, it's how you get into the property market. And if you realise and believe that the property market is, is going to continue to go up, then you're putting your money into a, into a safe and stable investment over time, allowing you to achieve all the amazing financial goals that you want to. So absolutely, it might be being able to afford your dream home in 10 years from now by getting into the market at, at an entry level. And then over time, as that property goes up in value and you realise that you're not restricting your lifestyle based on the holding costs, you're able to get a second one and maybe even a third one. And then when you consider what those two or three properties might go up by, that's how you're then able to have a really big deposit to be able to buy the dream home down the track. We also see other people using this strategy to um, accumulate properties and create this, this wealth effect to then sell those properties and reduce the debt that they've already got on their own occupied mortgage. So with the interest rates going up at the rate they have over the last couple of years, that's becoming more and more popular as a way for people to reduce their mortgage without them having to use a lot of extra money to, to, to increase their repayments month on month. Mm. I think uh, for young people, a lot of the time, lifestyle is a really big factor in, you know, first home buyers. Again, I'm going through the process at the moment and I've had to accept that we can't afford to live where we want to. We've made a good compromise and found somewhere that we're happy enough to live in. What do you think the benefits are for people to be able to make that decision and say, well, I'm going to rent where I want to live? Like, what are the lifestyle benefits from doing that? Life's hard, right? We've all got jobs and we've got families and we've got partners and, and all of these kind of challenges. So adding a whole bunch of extra stress by overcompromising just to get into the property market has never really made sense. Life's for living and uh, you know we should be having some fun while making our money work for us at the same time. So by being able to kind of detach that emotion and buy where it makes the most sense to invest but at the same time, being able to live life where you want, it's more fun. You're closer to your friends. You're probably closer to your family, you know, cafes, all of the kind of fun stuff that, that we enjoy. Um, you're living where you're living at the moment for a reason because you enjoy it. And rent vesting is just a really effective way to get the best of, of both worlds, as well as keep thousands more of, of your income in your pocket. Because if um, if you're going through it at the moment, Sasha, I'm sure you probably run these numbers, but if you, if you look at what it costs you to buy a property in an area where you might be okay to live or where you want to live can be such a significant expense. Compare that to what you're paying in rent to live where you want to live. And even if you're holding two or three investments, then the numbers we help our clients understand is they've got around $20,000 extra in their pocket every year. So having a free holiday or being able to have you know more long weekends away or go to the Taylor Swift concert for the second time, if you can get the tickets, whatever it might be, it just gives you a lot more, uh, a lot more choice and flexibility around lifestyle. What about tax benefits? And also in terms of benefits, I've heard of the term lazy equity when it comes to this. What are they and do they exist for people who are rent vesting? 
Yeah, these things are my favourite. So lazy equity is basically equity that uh, people have in a property that's not being utilised. You know, a long time ago, nearly 20 years ago, my one of my light bulb moments was the fact that I'd saved really hard to get my first deposit. I'd bought that first property. Uh, it had gone up in value uh, very quickly. And I now had this equity that I could use to cover the deposit and costs on my second one. I didn't have to go through that saving stress again to, to get my next property. So, you know, the only cash deposit I've saved is the is the first one. All of the others have been on the back of utilizing this, this equity. So, uh, you know, lazy equity is, is something that we can use to grow our portfolio. Yes, we have to pay interest on the equity that we borrow for the deposit and costs, but fundamentally the rent and the tax benefits are uh, covering the, the vast majority of, of those holding costs, which leads to the, the first part of your question around the tax benefits. Not all properties are created equal in terms of the tax benefits that you can claim. Investment property in general, uh, the vast majority of the expenses um, with the exception of stamp duty and, and solicitor's costs when you purchase, uh, are tax deductible items. But if you're really smart about what you buy, you can increase your deductions by you know, $15,000 a year. And when you look at those depreciation deductions, plus all of the other deductions, it's very common you know, for our clients to be getting between fifteen dollars and $20,000 of tax back each year per property. Uh, so think of all of that money that, uh, that we pay in tax. Uh, there's, a, there's a really effective way to get a chunk of that back into our pocket to go along with that rental yield I talked about to mean that, you know, you can hold a, a high-performing property for 100 to $150 a week out of pocket, which, which makes it, A, achievable in the first instance, and you don't need to see too many rental increases to be able to get the next one over time as well. Look, part of me when we're having this discussion is a little bit sad that it's gotten to this point. I know people have invested for years. It's not a new concept. However, the idea that the great Australian dream of being able to buy and live in your home and that be kind of part and parcel with having a job and working full time is so out of reach that people are kind of having to almost cheat the system or find a hack to get in and and get what they want out of the housing market. Do you agree with that assessment or do you think this is just the way forward as things do keep getting more expensive, that this is a great option for people who are trying to break in who couldn't otherwise? I, I think it's both. Look, it, it, this is a, a fantastic way and I'm speaking from personal experience here in terms of what it's allowed you know, me to create for me and my family. Anything in life requires kind of change and adaptation and this is just the, the best way, given the affordability challenges right now, to be able to get into the market and hold property without compromising your lifestyle. If we look at the, the, the challenges that exist, I think um, that could be a whole separate discussion over a couple of hours. But uh, I guess to cover, the, to cover the key points, the housing supply crisis that we've got at the moment is unfortunately not going to be easily fixed. I, I really feel for people that are out there renting or trying to save a deposit, um, especially those that are really laser focused on it, there are so many temptations lifestyle-wise these days that we didn't have 20 years ago when I was saving my first deposit. Um, you know, I think it was Foxtel and, and the free-to-air channels. There weren't all these streaming services and lifestyle choices. So you do need to be really disciplined. You do need to you know, delay gratification and be prepared to put a few things on the back burner to, to try to get in, as I'm sure you're aware. But fundamentally, if the government is going to be 
looking to the mum and dad investors to, to supply the investment housing, there need to be incentives to do that as opposed to disincentives, which has been, you know, over the, the last seven to eight years, the majority of the policies that have been implemented. And, and unfortunately, we're seeing the impact of, of that now. And, and the housing supply challenges are not easily fixed. They're not easily fixed. They're not quickly fixed. Uh, so if there is a way that you can get into the market, you know, we're very excited about the next, you know, five plus years in terms of what it means. For, for continued house price growth. That was Michael Beresford, Executive Director of the property advisory firm Open Corp. And just a reminder, this episode is designed as an explainer, not as investment advice. And that is all for this morning's podcast. Thank you for listening. Make sure you check back the Sabo at three in our feed for another episode. And in the meantime, please do get in touch with us here at The Briefing. If you'd like to share an episode idea or you want to have your say about something we've discussed, head to our Instagram page and send us a message. And don't forget to join our broadcast channel behind The Briefing. I'm I'm Sasha Barbagat. Thanks for listening. Listener.